Welcome, everyone, to the First Presbyterian Church podcast. We are First Presbyterian in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and we are glad that you are here listening with us, and we'd love to hear from you. Um, We hope that your day will be blessed, and may the peace of Christ be with you. Disruption happens in our lives often when we least expect it. This is a humorous look at disruption, but one of Lydia's books is called This Moose Belongs to Me. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the story is about a little boy named Wilfred who owns or thinks he owns this moose that he knows. How he knows it's this particular moose, this story does not go into it, but he names the moose Marcel. And he and Marcel have all kinds of adventures, and he has rules for Marcel, but Marcel is bad at one rule, or several really, but the rule that he's bad at on this page is maintaining a certain proximity to home. And so Wilfred learns to bring string. I'm sure you can't see it, but imagine there's a little boy with string that he uses to guide his way home when he's off following Marcel. Now, Wilfred and Marcel one day are out on an adventure. Wilfred's taken the string, and then suddenly they come upon this woman, and Wilfred's friendship with Marcel is disrupted. This woman says to the moose, Rodrigo, you're back. And suddenly Wilfred realizes that the moose does not belong just to him. And so he says, this moose belongs to me. To prove it, he calls Marcel, but Marcel being a moose that doesn't know his own name, doesn't respond. He's really interested in the woman because she has an apple. So Wilfred is embarrassed and mad and sad, and he runs away, rushes off for home. But in his haste, in his tangle of emotions, he trips over his string. Imagine there's a little boy tied up in string, falling down the valley, and can't see the details, but you can see, I'm sure, that this page is all blue. He winds up tangled in his string, laying on the ground, far from home, and it's late, and he's lost. But then, Marcel shows up, and good things happen from there. We sometimes find ourselves like Wilfred, thinking we know our lives, who we are, where we stand with others, what we're supposed to do in this world, and then something comes along and suddenly our lives are disrupted. We had maybe the string of a story of what our lives would be, and then we find ourselves tangled in the ground in it. 
Has this ever happened to you? Not literally, although let me know if you have had a moose friend before. But in the metaphorical sense, right, we have been disrupted sometimes. Someone we love dies. We, ourselves, or someone we love gets a terrible diagnosis. There's an accident. We lose our job. We lose a friend. We get a terrible grade or lose a competition of something we thought that we were good at. But some things happen in all our lives that disrupt them. And we find ourselves, too, after a year and a half or more at this point of the disruption of the pandemic, which experienced all of us. It came for all of us. And while we are often able to keep our lives orderly and in control and keep the disruption out, the pandemic laid bare the truth that we can't control everything. That disruption comes sooner or later for all of us. And in those times of disruption, of exile, maybe, we experience isolation, loneliness, fear, disorientation, like Wilfred felt. He lost his way. An elder at another Presbyterian church talked about coming back and to worship in their sanctuary and coming back to non-online church life and found that felt, things felt weird. So he said, it's like we had a puzzle all laid out on the table. It was put together, and it fell to the floor, and now we're trying to put back the pieces, and in a new way. So it's like the pieces of our lives fall down, and not only are they jumbled up, but the pieces then change shape. This happens in our lives. The Israelites surely felt all of that when they were in exile in Babylon, away from everything they knew, away from their homes, separated probably from their communities. And of course, the temple had been destroyed, so the thing that gave their lives meaning, their faith, their identity as Israelites, The Babylonians had torn it to the ground and wounded their hearts and their spirits. And so Jeremiah writes to them and delivers that wonderful message we hear. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a future filled with hope. We've probably maybe heard that, vo- that verse before. It is a pretty famous one that gets quoted all the time. But if we zoom out a little bit in the rest of the context of Jeremiah and the Israelites, we hear that maybe it's not exactly what we think. The time frame for this hope-filled future is not immediately for the Israelites, but 70 years from then. For people in that time who didn't live as long as we do now, that 70 years means that most of them would not make it back, that their whole lives would be lived 
in exile. Now, there were other prophets encouraging violent revolt and saying, we will return immediately. And that's who Jeremiah refers to when he says, don't listen to those other prophets. But Jeremiah says that's not what we're called to. We are called to do other things, to build houses, to marry, to have children, to work for the welfare of the city. And somehow that's all tied up with the hope-filled future that Jeremiah predicts. So it is a hopeful message. Surely I know the plans I have for you, but with all these other caveats, the timeline, the scope of the story, it would have been a hard message to hear, as maybe we have felt sometimes before. When we are in that place of disruption and we wonder, when will this end? When will things get back to normal? I know we've wondered that often throughout the pandemic. The truth is, we live with these cycles of exile and return, of separation and reunion, of being disrupted and then putting pieces back together. And life doesn't always go the way that we want to. We wind up like Wilfred, confused and tangled up in string in the middle of nowhere. And the news that Jeremiah has is possibly not exactly what we want either. His instructions that he gives to build houses and settle down, cultivate gardens, and work for the welfare of the place where you are, working for the good of your enemies. Whew, all of that seems to ask the question, If we're here, and we are, if our lives are disrupted, and they are, how will we be faithful, even here, even now? His instructions encourage the Israelites and us, too, to move from asking, how can we get out of this? How can we fix this? How can we go back? When can we go back to normal? To that question of how will we live here and now, faithfully in this place. Because as much as we would like God to be the fixer of all of our problems, it doesn't always happen that way, unfortunately. But still, there is hope. And so how do we find hope in the disruption? The instructions that Jeremiah gives to the Israelites call them to live their lives It's a way of participating in God's hopeful future, even if it isn't fully here yet. It's like Jeremiah says, keep heading for home, even if you don't know if you'll get there. Follow the string, and if the string is tangled, look for the moose who is your friend. Look for what is true. And what is true is that God's promises still stand, but they may not be on our timeline, and it may not turn out the way that we want it to. Time is bigger than us, and we are a part of a story bigger than us. So that future filled with hope 
It's like Paul says in Corinthians, now we see only in part, but then in the fullness of time, we will see fully. I once knew an elder. I do know her. She's still alive. Her name is Beth. She's a wonderful woman. She is an amazing teacher and a devoted church worker. In another time, if she had been in a different place with different people encouraging her and knowing her gifts, she probably might have wound up going to seminary to be a minister in our church, the Presbyterian church. But she was born in a different time, and the Presbyterian church has only been ordaining women since 1955. And while it's been my whole lifetime, it hasn't been everyone's whole lifetime, and places have been different. She wasn't necessarily encouraged until she was older and realized her gifts. And sure, she could have gone to seminary, made a second or third career, but she'd had a very fulfilling life as a teacher. And I think of her, and I think of the other women who have gone before me, women who were born even long, long before Beth, where there were really no options to be an elder or a deacon, women who felt God's call on their lives and had to live it out however they could. For them and for Beth and for me, you see, time is connected and things move forward. And so the things that we work for, we may not see the completion of them. God's story is bigger and longer than any of our individual lives, which, again, is not what we always want to hear. But God is working. God is in the struggle, working for good and justice and mercy. And God's future may not be the ending that we wanted, There's a Presbyterian camp in Oklahoma, Dwight Mission Camp and Conference Center. And like many church camps in this time, they've been struggling with their finances. They wondered what to do. And they thought of their history. The camp had gotten started as a mission to the Cherokee Nation in Arkansas and then moved to Oklahoma. They had come at the request of the Cherokee Nation to teach English. There's a very complicated history, but now thinking about the future and what to do, I'm sure many of them wanted their camp to continue to find new life, but the new life they found was different probably than they had imagined. They decided to return the land or to give the land to the Cherokee Nation. And members of the Cherokee Nation, in reflecting on this change, this gift to them, this writing of history, told of their connections to it, of grandmothers who attended school there, relatives buried in the cemetery, of getting married there, of grandparents who met there. And so there is a hope-filled future there, but it is in another people's hands than those who had owned the camp. 
Sometimes God's future, God's future filled with hope, like I said, happens not necessarily on our timeline or even within our lifetime, and it may not happen the way that we imagine it will, but it is sure and true that God is working. And God is working here to make a future with hope. God is working here to lead us into being a place of hope and giving that hope to others. We keep heading towards home even if we don't know where that home is. For we are part of this great, great story. And this great story gives us a bigger hope, a more durable hope than just the plans of God being for our own individual lives. We have offered hope throughout the pandemic. I think of last year, we made, uh, our little elves, I should say, made um, treat bags for the healthcare workers at Helmwood Healthcare. Some of our members recorded a Christmas service to share with them, sharing their talents. We collected 60-something boxes of home goods and clothes to share with four, four different organizations locally. We've stayed connected and tried as best we could to share our hope with one another. In the midst of disruption, we are called to look beyond ourselves, to look beyond our time, to look beyond the plans that we have for our future. And today, we're celebrating Communion and All Saints Day. And these two tables remind us of that call from God, of that hope-filled future that is sure, even when we can't see it. We have God's strength and nourishment calling us forward. And we have the saints which in the Protestant tradition is everyone who has gone before us in the faith. We remember that the future is filled with God's saints too, and we stand with them. And so with God, with the saints, we are part of a much bigger story, and we remember what God said to the Israelites and to us. Surely I know the plans I have for you, plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. Amen.